Hello, this is Lawrence Lewis. And this is Sister Christian. Today is Friday, May 1st. It's Friday, Christian. Mayday, mayday. <laughs> this is the Producers Happy Hour, a podcast with two producers on opposite coasts, reaching out to our filmmaking and live event community to hear your stories about how the pandemic has affected you, your life, and your work. Your stories let us know that we're not alone. It's important for us to keep sharing our experiences, our ideas, our creativity, it helps us understand that we're not alone in all of this. So email us, or better yet, record a one to two minute voice memo and send it to us at producershappyhour at gmail.com. Just follow the instructions on our website, producershappyhour.com. And please share this show with everybody you know, your entire universe. <laughs> Just blast us out there. Because we understand that these stories, again, they help us, but you know, they help people who aren't in our community as well. It, they're human stories, and we think that's important. Yes, and if you rate us on Apple Podcasts, it helps the algorithms, and we all need help with the algorithms. Love um, us. So, Christian, today we're chatting with the lovely Annie Saunders, who is an amazing director and live artist. She works mostly in immersive theater, branded experiential, and she is repped as an experiential director at Hilo. What a what a mm, what a lovely lovely woman yeah. she is. We uh, again, I just love these interviews. I mean, she's amazing. The projects she's done are are very impactful. Mm -hmm. They're very emotional. Mm -hmm. You know, again, it's like Yehuda. You know, there's such a tone of human connection that comes out of her work. It just oozes out of her work. It's interesting to be that kind of artist in a time like this when you you can't have that human connection in the way that we think about it in terms yeah. of physicality and touch and closeness, right? I know. Her work is palpable. Like your yeah. emotions are, you know, you could touch your emotions. She's amazing. Yeah. So, Christian, it's Friday. <laughs> this is the, believe <laughs> it or not, this is the end of week seven. Oh, I believe it. I do because I've definitely got into a routine. Of yeah. House. Well, this, yeah. And this show has helped routine wise for me. For sure. How are you doing? First, how's your cat? And oh, how are you I know doing? I, had, how's Sid? I know I was pretty emotional yesterday, guys, I have to say. It's okay. um, so Sid came home last night with a bucket full of medication to give him. He mm -hmm. is on uh, anti nausea medication and mm -hmm. a appetite stimulant. And Good. while we're waiting, because he got an ultrasound, he got so much shit, an ultrasound, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, all kinds of yeah. stuff and blood work and everything. And it, I'm expecting the results today. But he, I have to say, within the last hour or so, seems to be a little bit perkier than he's been. Uh -oh. I know. Good. So we're just all going to cross our fingers and think that, you know, uh, he's on the mend. We'll see. So yeah. that's very exciting. And um, another update, I received my test results back, which were negative for antibodies. Really? I know. Okay. So weird. So, now, here's a question that mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you, and I didn't want to pose it before you got the results. Yeah. Now that you have the results, <laughs> were you hoping that it was going to be positive? Yes, absolutely. I was absolutely hoping it was positive. Yeah. And I also understand that, you know, there's a, f with the Abbott test, nothing's perfect right now. All these tests have been rushed to market, as they say. Yeah, and there is still a, what is it, a 10%? 
15 percent false 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 positive and false positive and false positive yeah yeah. which is interesting so i was hoping that i was because of the theory that we discussed that i you know came up with in the common sense realm of world without my medical degree of um (laughs) if i've had it before that means i was asymptomatic or i was very light you know it was lightly affected so if i in theory got it again it would be the same way however the viral load that we've been discussing in the last few days about how you know the higher the viral load that you're exposed to the the harder the virus affects you is there too so in theory if you are asymptomatic because you weren't exposed to a high viral load yeah so, yeah. you know, it would it would have been f- false comfort, I feel, if I was positive. Interesting. Okay. And so yeah, um, I, I see that. Yeah. Turns out I've either been doing a very good job or was extremely lucky. And how or both. Or both. <laughs> it's a little bit of both. This isn't like some cheesy old saying about luck. Luck is the intersection of preparedness and timing. Right. That, so that's it's not, not luck. It's that you were doing the right thing. You were washing your hands and for the times that you maybe lapsed, the timing right. worked out. Right. No, I agree with that. But I also was flying all over. And then before March 13th, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> Not sure how much I was caring. Hey, no. that's the truth. I mean, I, I, would, just... I would think that we've, I mean, we're correcting, you know, years and years of behavior. Bad behavior. Yeah. Yeah. So those things are good. So how are you doing today? (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing good. In honor of the original concept of the show, Producers Happy Hour, I am having a lovely IPA. Lovely. Lagunitas IPA. Nice. Bring back the cocktails, even though it's a little early over here, but hey. Nah. It's it's quarantine time. It's daytime. Christian, it's May 1st. It's May Day. And as you know, we've discussed before we started recording, a lot of the workers at places like Amazon, Whole Foods, Instacart, they've organized a historic massive strike. Yeah. So it's a series of work stoppages all across the country, sick outs and protests. It's all culminating today, and it's organized by the frontline workers of some of the country's largest corporations. Target as well, FedEx, they're all walking off the job today. You know, they say all. I don't know how many. I haven't seen any actual news reports of what's happening out there. Right. But it's interesting. I mean, the amount of protection they get is not enough. The amount of pay they're getting is not enough. And so they've realized they have the power. Yep. They have some demands that need to be met. I agree with them. Very smart. Yeah. As we've said many times, they're allowing us to stay home. Yeah. We're sitting here recording this podcast because they're out there providing us. I just happen to have received an Amazon delivery. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, I mean, I just think that they're allowing us to stay home and they're actually taking the risk for us. Listen, they need to be taken care of. Man, everything shifted. Everything has shifted. I hope we remember this. Like you said a couple episodes ago, I hope it's not all for naught, right? We come out of here with some bigger learnings about what is important to Mm us. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, God willing and all that. I saw some stuff, you know, from Ad Week where TV ad sale executives worry about the biggest, you know, like revenue losses. They're thinking about now, how do they get the 30 million people who are out of jobs because that came out Thursday? How do they get their money? Like, how do you advertise to 30 million people who don't have jobs? Yeah, Rent is due today. Very few people have been paid their unemployment benefits. I still haven't seen any unemployment benefits or, you know, the stimulus check, quote unquote, from the government or heard anything back from the PPP, EIDL, EDIL. Mm, LMNOP. 
Exactly. I haven't seen a penny from anybody. So how would they advertise to me? Of course, the ad sales are losing. Ad sales are down. And then there's no sports is a huge, you know, televised sports, uh, huge for advertising. There's none going on right now. So there's nowhere to advertise when it comes to live sports. Yeah, it's just a snowball. All of this has been snowballing and we're still finding out what sectors of the economy are being affected as we go. I read in the Freelancers Union blog. Oh, right. They did their own poll. And so granted, the poll is a small sample size. So Mm -hmm. take it with a grain of salt. But Mm -hmm. they they polled 2,767 freelance union members. Right. And they answered their surveys about their struggles with, you know, all these systems, the right. LMNOP systems we just talked about. 84% of freelancers who have applied for some kind of government relief have not received any money. Right. And almost all of them, 86%, have applied for at least one of PUA, PPP, EIDL, or the Self Employment Assistance Program. It's a small sample. So, you know, there's probably a, a hefty margin of error, but yeah, there's a lot of people out there that are not being able to access these funds. Yeah. And you and can't get a hold of anybody. Nobody's responding to your, anybody. yeah, it's just, um, it's very frustrating because again, I'm, I have savings. I'm using it. I had a good last year in the beginning of this yeah, year. So that's great. But I mean, what happens when I might be one of those desperate people who take a job, you know, remotely because I need to. Yeah. To that point, another article that our good friend Sandrine Orabona sent us, the documentary filmmaker we had on a show. She sent us this article from John Hopkins Mm -hmm. about grappling with the ethics of social distancing. And they're talking, of course, on a grand scale. Right. But it applies so much if we look at the microcosm of our film set. And what that means. And so this document, I'll put it in the show notes. You can Google it. It's called Grappling with the Ethics of Social Distancing. Mm -hmm. It talks about all the ethical questions behind the different measures and how to weigh those ethics. It's kind of walking you through the process of weighing the ethics of what is right, what isn't right, and how do we move forward since there is no vaccine. And I think one of the most interesting things about it is given the many policy choices that have already been made, there is a lack of consensus regarding who bears the burden of proof for showing that a policy is justifiable. On your own. So that's (laughs) you can't really prove a negative. Right. Because we stopped being around each other. Mm -hmm. This thing didn't happen. But there's no way to prove that that was right. a result of us. You know what I mean? So it, that, I that, see. That I'm seeing charged. a lot of that recently too. It's like, well, see, it wasn't yep. that bad, so we can get back out there. But the reason why, in theory, it wasn't that bad is because we're doing this, right? Uh, you know, we received the Florida guidelines today from Chris W. Key Grip. Yeah, we received yeah, yeah. those too. So I think that people are just going to rush ahead and see what happens, and then learn. They need yeah. they need proof. And so since we don't have yeah. since we're not giving proof that we're going to show them by opening up. Yeah. If they open up and everything goes great. Fantastic. Yeah, fantastic. Absolutely. I really hope absolutely. for that. I'm scared because I am Southern that things happen in the South to a relative or something because of these policies or to you know production communities that was avoidable. But everything mm-hmm. is avoidable in hindsight. Right. Yeah. So again, ethics. Great article. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll put that in the show notes. We always put all these articles in the show notes so you can check them out. On our website, producershappyhour.com, there is a page called Take Action with a list of a lot of resources, a lot of information, and opportunities for you to volunteer and donate and help other people. 
So, Lawrence, I'm just going to side note and say I just got an email on Seamless from Sweet Green pushing all their new dishes. Oh, really? Makes me miss L.A. (laughs) A little bit. I love New York. Don't get me wrong, everyone. But the food in L.A. can be very healthy bougie. (laughs) Healthy bougie. (laughs) And it's nice. So I, I don't think we've ordered out, by the way, in at least a month now. Oh, really? Which is saving money, absolutely, cooking and stuff. But it's just also like, it's a different uh, way of living in New York. You usually order everything out. (laughs) That's just what you do. Yeah. Yeah. Now that I've got everyone's mouth already for the delicious sweet greens, uh, let's get (laughs) on with the interview. Yeah, she's a little delicious sweet green as well. And we're going to chat with her, Annie Saunders. She is a director and a live artist. Her company, Wilderness, has presented The Day Shall Declare It, which was an amazing immersive play that took place in a disused warehouse in downtown Los Angeles's art district. With Los Angeles Performance Practice and in London with Theatre Delicatessen in the former BBB Studios and the Bush Theatre. Her company has also presented work at the Public Theatres under the Radar Festival, Red Cat, the 14th Factory, the Broad Stage, the San Francisco Playhouse, and Getty Villa. She holds an MA in Literature and Critical Studies from the University of London and trained at the Sanford Meisner Center for the Arts, the American Conservatory Theater, and the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. She worked for 10 years as a creative activist with Eve Insler's V-Day, and she is currently represented for commercial projects and commissions by Hilo, and has created unique large-scale experiences at Can Lions for MasterCard, Santander, Hewlett-Packard, Dos Equis, Bullet, and ASICS Worldwide. Jeez, she is amazing. <laughs> it's a long list of credits. <laughs> yes. Let's take a listen. Annie, thank you so much for joining us today. We'd love to check in on you, see how you're doing, how your family's doing. Are you in LA? Yeah, yeah, I'm in LA. I'm good. I'm I'm pretty, you know, I'm healthy. My family's healthy. Everyone's okay. So that's the important thing, you know? Yeah, for sure. So we read a little intro to you, so we know kind of your background and what you do as an artist. What was happening to you? Take us up to the days leading up to the pandemic. Were you working on something? Did you have projects in the works? What was your mind frame before things really started to become an emergency? Yeah, so I was working in London in March where I have a couple of projects, one that I was working on in particular. And we had a residency up until like March 9th, that first week of March, and a little bit into the following week. So we were kind of working in the studio, just myself and and one other collaborator, sometimes two, as things were sort of sort of shutting down. So that was really interesting, just started to become, you know, sort of hyper aware of like riding the train and things starting to close and people trying to go and see stuff before everything shut. You know, I had a couple experiences of going to the theater in those last like weeks you know, I really felt like, you know, I, I wonder how long it will be before I do this again. Here we are sitting together. Like, I wonder if we just won't do this anymore for a while, you know. So that was interesting. The last thing I saw was a seven-hour show at the, at the National by Robert Lepage. Oh, wow. And it was like, yeah, it was really interesting to do that kind of on the 9th of March at the end of, mm-hmm. you know, I think the National closed like maybe three days later. Um, And did you fly home just in time? 
Yeah. So I was sort of deliberating. So I spent a lot of time in the UK. I used to live there full time and I'm a British citizen and I deliberated about staying actually Mm, um, mm. quite a bit. Then in the end, it was like my flight was canceled. They bumped me up to a flight the following day. There was a lot of uncertainty about like, if I stayed, how, how really long that would be. And, you know, in LA, my studio is here. All my stuff is here. Mm -hmm. All my hard drives are here. Like if I have to hunker down and like something try to do (laughs) you know like extensive projects it's better for me to be here so yeah I flew I flew on March 19th which was the day that like when I was on the plane the the order from Gavin Newsom came came down to to stay home so just in the nick of time (laughs) yeah so I've been home since then I mean people are still flying you know but yeah yeah and I had you know various projects in the works on on a number of different timelines. So, you know, the stuff that was touring soon, like in mm-hmm. May and in the summer, is postponed. Either mm-hmm. like some things that were part of festivals have been postponed and oh, the festival yeah. is just doing itself next year. They're just moving yeah. the yeah. program from 2020 to 2021. That's mm-hmm. stuff like we were gonna do Holocenes, which is a big outdoor show in a in a tank of water which is a, a piece I perform in that the author is, is Lars Jan, who's a frequent collaborator of mine. So that, which is a show that I love doing and have been part of since it was created. And mm. it's a big piece of public art for large, large, groups. large groups yeah, in a, in a public, yeah. in a public square, sort of unlimited number, you know, thousands of people that was meant to be at the end of May. That was postponed until next year. I have a, a site-specific show that was meant to open later toward the end of this year in the late autumn that was supposed to be starting rehearsal in July. That's been mm-hmm. indefinitely postponed. As with much of my work is like involves a, a property developer and a number of investors yeah. and city organizations and permitting. And it's a, it's a complex mm-hmm. situation. So that's the one I would say that's the most uncertain and then i have another project with wild up who are a, a, a experimental orchestra here in town and a irish mm-hmm. composer which is a project that has become really kind of bitingly relevant at the moment mm-hmm. it's called rest and it's a project mm-hmm. about sensory deprivation and hallucinations and the nature of consciousness and what what rest means to us in the modern world. Yeah, that's right. And we've been working on that for a while. Yeah, did I mention that to you yeah. before? Yeah, and that's what I wanted to ask you about because your work is so based on human connection uh, and human interaction. And your work is interactive or experiential. So it must be quite, I don't know, you tell me, like seeing how things were unfolding and kind of once you start to get the bigger picture of the impact this was going to have on what you do as an artist. How did you respond to yeah, that? Yeah, it's so interesting, man. I mean, I I guess I'll say, first of all, that I think it's so, I was so thrilled that you asked me to have this conversation. And I, you know, immediately was like, yes, I want to do it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so excited to be part of the conversation and to be having this discourse about what people are thinking and feeling. And at the same time, it does feel like, we're in free fall and it's hard to have a take, you know, I I read the headlines every day and, and a lot (laughs) of it just feels like sort of filtering for relevant information. Like, has anything changed? Do I need to do anything? And then there's like a sea of op-eds, right? Every, right. So it's like fundamentally as an artist and as a live artist, I'm, I'm looking uh, what I, all I want is to be able to participate in a meaningful way. 
in like yeah. the world, you know, I mean, that's mm-hmm. what I want. So being asked to talk about this stuff is really meaningful and really exciting. And at the same time, I feel like it's also important for, I think, to note that like, we're not in a place where an articulate opinion or like a take is really formulable, if that's a word. There was a beautiful mm-hmm. interview with the author George Saunders that really spoke to me. So there's been a couple of pieces on the internet that I've returned to again and again. And one was this mm-hmm. interview where he says, basically, like, we need to keep our sensory apparatus as open as possible so that we don't miss any data because it's going to be our job to describe this in the future. But it's really hard to keep your apparatus open when you're really fearful and anxious and distracted. And and also it's like the moment where you slip on the ice and you're about to, you can't really suspend time in that moment and have a take, you know, like this is what I think about the fact that I just, slipped and I'm about to fall. It's like this we're we're in <laughs> right. this kind of suspended split second of like what mm-hmm. what's it going to be like. At the same time, I think that you know, I was saying to someone yesterday like I love to make work for small groups of people. Right. I love mm-hmm. to make work for mm-hmm. one audience member at a time, 10, mm-hmm. 20, 25, 50 audience at a time. I love that kind of intimate work. Yeah. It's it's often yeah. financially impossible yes. for challenging challenging <laughs> sometimes, prohib- sometimes prohibitively challenging. Yeah. i've been doing a, a show that that allows one audience member through at a time doing that show for seven years i can guarantee you it's it's financially yeah impossible. exactly so well uh, let's say this I, I i would frame it a slightly different way which is that it require it requires sure. a new model right yeah, it, it requires a new model yeah. and i right. think for years yeah, we've yes. been trying to find a model that mm-hmm, that exactly. works for intimate audience sizes and for the creation of personal experiences that doesn't require you know a fifteen hundred dollar ticket price right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. so I think that we've been trying as the makers of the work to also be the architects mm-hmm. of a new producing system and yeah. gosh I mean 100%. if this time allows us the opportunity to do that less sort of as we are on the fly and as we're making then I think. That would be amazing. So we know that you also do branded experiential projects. Of course, all of that stuff is on hold for a little while. But have you had any conversations with ad agencies or brands on how to pivot? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of agencies are pivoting to to things that they're already doing that are online. You know, a lot of experiential agencies that I work with are Mm -hmm. focusing on the client projects that are new websites that are interactive or Mm -hmm. um, things like that. There has been some discussion of shooting stuff socially distant, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is interesting. And I'll be interested to see where that goes. Very interested in audio, whether it's in a curated environment or at home. So I've been talking with creative agencies and and people who are pivoting about that, about audio experiences and also Mm -hmm. about animation. I mean, that's what I want to talk about. Sometimes they want to talk about VR or other stuff. And, and that's, that's fine too, you know? Like I'm, I'm, I'm very willing to test my... I'm interested in my own resistances and how, how they can be made more malleable. There was a beautiful thing that came out online recently. This uh, wonderful artist who I love, who's uh, Lawrence Abu Hamdan, who's a filmmaker and an audio artist. And he has been looking for ways to release his work online in a way that feels meaningful and specific to him and also translatable because I think this is the other big piece of material that we're working with in this moment is 
framing things as either replaceable or not replaceable. Like, is it a replacement for going oh. to the Metropolitan Opera to watch a performance of the mm-hmm. Metropolitan Opera mm-hmm. on your laptop in your bed? I would say no, because it's not all about the content. The experience is part of it. So he's been looking for ways to make, I would say, rather than replace, like translate things that we've made for another medium. Translation is Mm -hmm. better than replacement. He made a piece of audio, which is a 12-minute experience for audience members in a gallery space that's blacked out. It's a darkened room with a 12-minute audio track on a speaker array. So what he did was he eventually put it online, redesigned it for headphones. Oh, wow. And there are instructions, like there's guidance, Mm -hmm. you know, and the guidance is turn all the lights off, get your best quality headphones. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) if you try to navigate away from the page or you open a new tab while you're listening to this Uh thing, uh it will stop. Nice. And I really responded to that because I was like, oh, I really want to do it now. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. I want to do it because there's a space for me as an audience member to participate. It's interactive yeah. now yeah. because there's yeah, yeah, something yeah. for me to do. And I, I want to do it right. I want to do it the way he wants it to be done. And I feel like I have a job and a role and it feels like an interactive participatory experience just because there's a little, there's a yeah. guidance there. That's interesting. It's so great to chat with you about this because you're putting into words something that I've been bouncing around in my head about, you know, we have the show, The Loan Experience. And why don't we just do a Zoom alone experience? And I was like, that just, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like we're creating something new. Like to your point, it's, it was, it's replacing what we can't do with something else that will soon be irrelevant once we can do that thing again. So I'd rather try and figure out a new way, a different way of telling the stories that we explore in, in our show. So, you know, we, we talk a lot about the logistics of how do we go back to doing what we do on this show and that's all well and good and we will get into that a little bit later but you know and i'm hearing you talk about the, you know the new things that you're interested in working with tools as an artist to do what you do but what about do you think this experience this emergency this pandemic is affecting you in the stories you want to tell is it going to affect you as an right. artist do you see things differently now that will embed itself into your work no doubt. I would say it's too soon for me to know how. And I, and I also yeah. feel like often my experience has been that I don't know why I'm making something until like years afterwards. After, you know, uh, I've yeah. made everything I've made years later, I've kind of gone, oh, yeah. Oh, oh that's what was happening. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, I was really like interested yeah. in this and I had no idea. So, I think I won't know until later. And that was the other beautiful thing about that interview with George Saunders and basically him saying, take notes, you know, take bad. And this is my interpretation. He didn't say this, but my interpretation is like, take bad notes, take bad, Mm -hmm. haphazard, nonsensical, disorganized notes, because you don't know what is going to be relevant or useful until later, the most mundane kind of thing might unfold into something. So I think for sure it will affect the type of stories that I want to tell and the way I want to tell them. It's also reframing the work that I'm already making, right? Like what I've been talking with Emma, the O'Halloran, the composer for rest Mm. is like, it's really interesting because we have this body of recordings of interviews and research that we did 
before. Mm-hmm. And then we have the things that we're talking to people about now, you know, in terms of like what rest means to them in the modern era and sensory overwhelm, sensory deprivation, dopamine fasting, all these different things that are going on, all these phenomena. But we've crossed a line with that subject matter. The recordings from before are from a different world, right? Right. And right. Right. What we've been talking about is like, well, this show is, it's going to be about this now. We don't even have to like make right. it about this yeah. or point. Mm-hmm. It just will be mm-hmm. people. That's what's going to be coming up for people. So what do right. we do with that knowledge? We mm-hmm. know that the audience are going to be receiving what we bring them with a framework of having experienced right. So how do we respond to that, you know? Yeah, I feel that just watching TV shows, you know, somebody oh, yeah. coughs or <laughs> shakes hands and or it's touching. just like, Ugh, this feels all wrong now. Ooh, you know? Totally, yeah, so. totally. I was, I was saying to someone the other day, we were talking about one of the things that we made, one of the concepts that I created for the home was this space that was a museum where there were objects that were just everyday objects that had taken on sort of totemic archaeological significance because of what they represented in these women's stories, like keys and phones and wallets and uh, objects that we don't think of as weapons, but could be weapons like a remote control. Mm -hmm. Any small object that can be hurled, et cetera, were like displayed as artifacts or artwork or, or things that had taken on this kind of archaeological significance is the word that I'm deciding to use right now. It's good. Um, I like it. <laughs> and the same is happening now, right? Masks right. and gloves yeah, and, right. you know, the idea that like I'm wearing a mask. Six months ago, if I said that to you, you would think like, oh, you're wearing a costume. Right. Right. right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that anymore. No. And Maybe. I think that's, those are the type of things that it's, I feel like it's our job to notice without necessarily knowing how that's going to become part of the work. But it's like, just put right. put a pin in, you know, like take a note. Yeah, take a note on that. We've been discussing with people too, like uh, once we're able to continue on with our work, safety. Yeah. And what we feel is, uh, or boundaries, what we feel we're going to need to be Mm. able to go back to work within ourselves Mm. or require of, you know, the trust that we may or may not have. I mean, we trust that people are close to us, but maybe not two circles away. I think maybe a better question for you would be, are there any larger ideological changes that you hope to see in the industry just as a result of all of this? I think it's so interesting and and it it makes me feel kind of proud of like the immersive community because I think that Mm -hmm. people who've been making intimate shows where audience are interacting either with performers or with the space or whatever have been thinking a lot about safety for a long time. Have been thinking about performer safety, audience safety, Mm -hmm. have been experimenting with incredibly complicated sort of waivers and and things for people to sign or like instructions (laughs) or signage or like how much, you know, how much do we tell them to maintain some mystery and intrigue, but we keep them safe. And man, like we've been thinking about that stuff for so long. Yes. I've been thinking about that stuff for so long. I mean, I remember somebody, Mm -hmm. a commission I had last year, there was a question about actors serving food to the audience. And I was like, there are types of food that I would take from mm-hmm. an actor. And there are types of, there was a question about like oysters. And I was like, I'm not taking, yeah. a, I'm oh. not taking an oyster from somebody who's pretending to be somebody else. 
Like no. if you, <laughs> Draw there, the are, there. there are really, but a strawberry I would take. And it's like, yeah. it's on me okay. as the creator to find a way, which is so, so challenging to articulate why the difference uh-huh. between those, <laughs> and, 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 wh- and why it's important for people who are giving us information about the safety of our body or about how we're mm-hmm. supposed to act are not mm-hmm. like wearing a top hat and being weird you know like that that person has to be real and relatable so there's all these layers and intricacies to keeping the audience safe and I think that the immersive community interactive theater makers intimate theater makers participatory Mm -hmm. performance makers experiential creators have been thinking about that so much for so long and experimenting with that I would say in ways that some have worked, some have not worked, some have been alienating, some have been overkill, all these kinds of things. Some have been not enough and audience have not felt safe, mm-hmm. but the safety of the audience member and their ability to feel held and cared for and safe to submit themselves to the experience and that the people who made this thing that they're entering are going to take care of them and be responsible mm-hmm. has been something that I think we've been, has been our domain in many ways Mm, and so I think Mm -hmm. for me it's built in to how I how I make shows with the home for example it was like you put the headphones on you interact with various people before you get into what feels like the art part right (laughs) and then and you put on headphones and there's a recording saying I'm the stage manager this is what you do if you want to leave if you want to leave the experience take your headphones Mm -hmm. off we'll see you and we'll come and get you, which does three jobs at once, right? It tells them that we can see them, that they're under surveillance, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, which is part mm-hmm. of the storytelling. It's part of the content that these women felt like people were watching them all the time. Ah, mm-hmm. interesting. It also tells them that if they take their headphones off, they're going to have to leave. So if they want to be like sneaky and be like, oh, I wonder, uh, I wonder yeah, if yeah. I take my headphones off uh-huh. if I'll be able to hear anything or if they want to like do something that I would be worried would drop them out of the experience. They know that there's going to be like uh, a consequence for that, yeah. so to speak, mm-hmm. or, or, you know, mm-hmm. boundary. And then they also most importantly have a really clear way of like, I'm feeling triggered or I want to get out of here for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah. All I have to do is do a really clear physical action. It's also a gift to our stage manager because it's a really clear thing. And it only means one thing. She doesn't have to try right. to like see their face or, you know, whatever. And I think that comes from a lot of what I've learned from making this type of work. And I think it's relevant to what you're saying is like, Mm -hmm. how is safety going to change? It's like, for me, it's all about clarity, transparency, and consideration Mm -hmm. of the totality of, can can we find things that are clear, simple, and hit more than one goal? Like this example that I just gave, you know? Right, right, right. With whatever new safety regulations we have, it's just going to be a different formula or different practices that we have to ingrain into what you're already paying and, attention And to. make them make sense. You know, I think the detective show, the site-specific show that I think I mentioned to you, Lawrence, before called The System, you know, that, that yes. has a whole element that is for an audience member who's in a situation, a one-on-one situation, one performer, one audience member, where it sort of mm-hmm. traces an arc between like, is this an interrogation? Is this a job interview? Is this a first date? Like these are two people opposite each other. And it kind of construes the power dynamics of one person mm-hmm. asking another person questions and how many different yeah. scenarios that can be, you know? 
especially where yeah, gender yeah. dynamics are involved, which is what the show is, is also about. It's a sort of L.A. noir for the end of patriarchy. And so that is a show. The entire show could be mm-hmm. for one audience member and one performer with a sort of glass between them. Mm-hmm. That feels like the oh, kind of thing that can come back sooner, yeah. right. maybe. Yeah. Uh, that people maybe. would feel safe. Because I've really been thinking about what are people going to feel safe and excited to do? Because the other thing is, I think right. I think we know, again, like uniquely maybe as intimate, participatory, interactive, live artists, that people have to feel safe and enthusiastic in order to be ready to experience something. 100%. That's kind of baseline for the, for the work you do. It's automatic. Yeah. So do you have any sort of advice for the other creatives that are out there in the world, kind of stuck in this limbo land that we're in? either just how to cope with their anxiety or, mm-hmm. or you know, there's this uh, underlying thing of now's the time to be creative or to be productive or, or whatever. But, uh, you know, what you said earlier, take a lot of notes. You know, is there anything along those lines that you can offer to other creatives out there that are struggling? Oh, right man, now? I love them. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really, you know, I'll say two things. I'll say a little bit about what my experience has been and then maybe some quote unquote advice. I mean, I think, you know, (laughs) I listened to an interview with Rachel Chavkin, who's a a friend and a great director. And and she said, I never give advice because people's experiences are so different than mine. And I thought that was so wise, you know, that it's like advice Mm. sort of presumes similarity. And I think that's Mm -hmm. another thing that's so important for us to be thinking about now is we are all together. But we are all having very unique experiences, you know, and, exactly. and, and so and that's always true is like it's so important right. to acknowledge what people are going through individually. And so saying like, oh, my advice mm-hmm. to you is, you know, do <laughs> get, get up, up at six, six and do four and hours stretches. of yoga. And you're like, I actually like I'm a, no, like there's a guy in our community, amazing artist, David Rosenberg, incredible experimental theater maker, who's he's an emergency anesthesiologist. That's his that's his job. Oh, wow. You know? Jesus. So like me and David Rosenberg are kind of similar in the sense that like we both make experimental theater for small audiences and are super interested in audio, but like his life looks nothing like mine nowadays. He's married, he's got two young kids and he's an emergency anesthesiologist, like, you know. So that's one thing. That's one thing I'll say about advice is Mm -hmm. I would like to say what has been working for me and then I will say some things that I hope other people can do. Okay. So Mm -hmm. what's been working for me is or what's been working for me, what, what I've been noticing as things that I have been doing, I do have a, a bit of a structure. I have like five things that I, you know, I, I try to exercise every day. I have like a little workout. Mm. I meditate. I read a poem, randomly chosen poem off of my, oh. sh- part of oh. what I've been doing is like really getting to know my personal belongings. <laughs> <laughs> and having having like a having like That's a very nice. profound discourse with all of the things that I own. 
So I, so I put yeah. all my poetry books, you know, my books were all over the place. Half of them are in my studio where I am now. Half of them are upstairs in my living room. Some of them are in my bedroom, et cetera. I don't know where anything mm-hmm. is. I buy two copies of stuff all the time just because I can't find it. So I put all the poetry <laughs> in the bedroom and that's where I do my meditation. And so I pull a, a book mm-hmm. off the shelf and I read a poem before I do my meditation. I do some writing. Again, I t- my writing is basically bad notes, haphazard, fragmented right. um, notes about things that I'm noticing i take a uh, a walk in my neighborhood every day usually around dusk and i kind of like basically i decided that if i do all those things every day then like mm-hmm. then I've, i have a list of things that i've like crossed things off the list and i feel i think it's so important like such an important part of my way of feeling again like I'm participating meaningfully in the world or I can feel good about myself in a way is like Mm. finding little ways to feel proud of ourselves is really important. And I think that, and and feeling a sense of accomplishment and congratulation. And I think that the public applause for the essential workers is a really good indication of how important it is to find ways to acknowledge, congratulate, and feel proud and grateful. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is like, and it's so relevant mm-hmm. to our practice as theater makers that like immediately, mm-hmm. spontaneously, the collective unconscious made a decision that it would applaud. It would do a physical, right, right. audio-based action of congratulation yeah. and admiration, mm-hmm. acknowledgement of accomplishment. I think we need to do that for ourselves, you know, like find ways to feel like mm-hmm. we're doing a good job, you know? Right. So right. Yeah, I yeah. do those things like for my health, I think prioritize health is my mm-hmm. advice, you know, whatever Absolutely. that means. So mental, spiritual, emotional, physical health, prioritize health, mm-hmm. take bad notes. i have random sticky notes all over the house so i understand what i feel bad notes are i think (laughs) and then i'll come across them and just be like what the hell is this oh yeah prioritize health (laughs) take bad notes rest congratulate yourself congratulate each other reflect you know Mm. so another thing i've been thinking man is just like i'm so grateful to be an artist and to have been able to participate in that way and make the work and share the work that I've been able to be part of. And I hope that I can continue to be that, you know, I just hope that there's a place for me in the conversation as this continues because it's been so fun, you know. Uh, Again, thank you so much for joining us today, Annie. It's been such a pleasure. Before you go, though, I I mean, sometimes we ask people what they're looking forward to once they can yeah. go outside. But I think that maybe if you could answer what you hope comes out of this experience, maybe it's personally or for the industry or for society in general, that would be lovely. I think it's been said by other people, too. And and it's been something I think that's been coming up. There's something emerging, I think, about acknowledgement of the connectedness and the care that we can offer Mm -hmm. ourselves and each other. I was very moved by this article in the New York Times about um, Gabrielle Hamilton about prune. Did you guys read that about her restaurant? Yes. Oh, Mm -hmm. yeah, that was very moving. I read something earlier about the connection between hospitality and storytelling. Mm -hmm. And when I read Gabrielle Hamilton's piece, I was, I mean, just like touched to the core by the 
part where she talks about sitting alone in the empty restaurant and listening, which is exactly how we make site-specific work. You know, I mean, I tell when I acquired this building, they said, Mm -hmm. what's first? And I said, first is me. I come in here and I sit here. Yeah. And listen to what the building wants, what the future might be, like what the walls are saying, Mm -hmm. all this stuff. And she was saying, you know, I sit in the empty room and I listen to the cooler and I listen to the fans come Mm -hmm. on and I listen to the creaking walls and I imagine what might come and I feel electricity in my body and sometimes I rearrange the table. (laughs) (laughs) And I just thought that's me i'm we're the same (laughs) we're one we're really one you know we're all in the hospitality business yeah right you know and and it strikes me how connected that word is as well to the word hospital (laughs) Uh, right seriously and like that we just we all hosting each other in some Mm -hmm. way and i think I hope for that. I mean, it sounds kind of corny, but I, I mm-hmm. hope for a, a, a kinder, more caring yeah. world that so acknowledges corny. the ways in which we're all connected, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we've strayed quite far from that. So I'm excited about the possibilities. All right. Thank you so Thank much you for so joining much. us, Annie. We really appreciate Thank it. Thank you, guys. It was great. I, I'm so, I was so honored to be asked, and I really appreciate it. I love these interviews. I do. <laughs> I want things. I, I want that too. <laughs> Can I, <laughs> I, I want to be able to, it starts local, you know, I, we, just, we yeah. just keep coming back to that and how, you know, helping each other feels good. So losing that feeling, mm-hmm. I don't want to lose that feeling. I want to keep doing it. Right. Mm-hmm. Finding little ways to feel proud about yourselves. Yeah. Right yeah. Like, it, listen, if you feed yourself, if you get out of the bed, if you, you know, whatever, yeah. whatever the little accomplishment that you have, please feel good about yourself because you did it. And it's okay to not understand what it all means or what it's all doing to you right now. I know everybody is like, uh, I got to reinvent myself and come out of this, you know, with a new me and all that. But it's impossible to really do that in that way but being open you know she's saying taking notes take bad notes being open and paying attention to what is happening even just so much as her becoming more attuned to her personal belongings yeah that reflects who you are and it reminds you what is important to you you bought that book of poems for a reason and it's been sitting on the shelf and you haven't looked at it for five years because you've been so busy (laughs) at work Yes. You know, and it's like reconnecting with who you are as a human and taking notes and being open to the shifts that are happening outside of you and inside of you. I think it's really lovely sentiment. So check out her work yeah. on flyhelo.com who reps her it's for good brand stuff. experiential. Yeah. Well, Lawrence, I'm sad to say that's it for today. This show this is, is the ed- end of another show. <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> this show is edited and co-produced by Rob Bloomkey. Artwork and logo designed by Christopher Daniels. And our unused but amazing music was composed by Kyle Pachia. Yes, thanks for listening. We're off for the weekend, so we will be back on Monday. But until then, stay safe, stay connected, stay active, and please keep on staying home. We're not quite there yet. We're not quite there yet. I know we all get ants in our pants. So if you do (laughs) choose to go outside, wear a mask. And uh, grab some gloves, too. You never know. Take out your phone right now and clean it. I know it's gross because you've had it on you, everything you've done today. Wash your hands and please don't touch your face. And send us your stories or email us a voice recording to producershappyhour at gmail.com. Lawrence, how can people reach you directly? 
They can find me at lawrencetlewis.com for my producing work or voiceoflawrence.com for my voiceover work. Christian, how's your new website coming? Uh, almost done. I uh, oh, just am, I'm uploading a few videos. Oh, and I also heard that I'm not allowed to show a few things, so I had to take those down. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, everything we did before this year and the end of last year is fantastic, but it's all on hold because, <laughs> because you know, you yeah, makes sense. <laughs> things aren't out yet, so it seems. But please check it out next week at sisterchristianproduces.com. <laughs> all right, everybody all right. have a great weekend. Bye. Bye.